that just has been the question. I'm going to read the question if you read the answer with me. What are the reasons added to the second commandment? The reasons added to the second commandment are God's holy jealousy for his name and the zeal he has for his own worship. Again, you can get those, um, those questions on the, on the, um, on the um, digital hymnal. So if you follow that digital hymnal, you can click on that. Um, kind of on that, on that it's like a blue uh, link. Click on it. It'll take you to all the questions that we are going through every week. Uh, we are doing something a little different this morning. We are, um, because uh, October the 31st is, is, yes, I know for many of uh, Americans it's Halloween, but for those who, are, um, who, uh, who, are, who know about history and know that about the Protestant Reformation, it's also the, the day that is the, um, the anniversary of Martin, Luther, Martin Luther's uh, nailing the 95 Theses on the door of the church in uh, Wittenberg in Germany. Um, and the start of the, of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, and we kind of wanted to make this a, a yearly thing that we kind of just go back and, and talk about an event or something that came out of the Protestant Reformation. Um, actually, a few years ago when we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation on 20, October 31st, 2017, we did like a whole series on the Reformation and talked about the different solas of the Reformation. And today we're going to talk about William Tyndale and talk about where did our English Bible come from. And um, so I'm going to read uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 through 17. Uh, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray. And actually, in my prayer, I, we're going to spend uh, every week kind of focusing on a different country um, and, talk, and, pray, and within our prayer, praying for the Christians there, praying that the gospel would work, that, that God would spread his gospel through his church in these nations, Pray for the, a lot of the nations that we'll be praying about. There's a lot of persecution. We'll pray for our, our, our fellow brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. That God would give them uh, steadfastness and boldness in the midst of persecution. And so I'm going to pray for the, for the country of Algeria. And so why I pray, I'll pray for that nation. But before I do that, I'm going to read our passage today from 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, verses 14 through 17. This is a very common passage to read when it comes to Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture. So verse, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I praise you this morning, Lord. But before, I want to pray for the nation of Algeria, Lord. I pray for the uh, there, a nation of 40, 35 million people, Lord. There's only uh, 84,000 Christians. Lord, there's such a small minority, Lord. Lord, we pray, Lord, for a nation that's 99% Muslim, where a believer who has any Muslim backgrounds has a very small chance of getting any, any job, any employment, because of persecution. A lot of, the, it's, in, it's, it's illegal to import a Bible into the nation of Algeria. So, so our, our brothers and sisters don't have access. They have very small amounts of your word. It's hard to get a Bible into their nation, Lord. The fear of death, the fear of imprisonment, because even owning a Bible, owning your word, 
which we know is sufficient, we know is necessary in our lives, Lord and Lord, that you would overpour your grace into that nation, that your word would be poured into those country, in that country, Lord. Lord, we pray for the Berber people, Lord, who there's a revival going amongst these people. They are actually moving into unreached Arab areas of their nation to reach them with the gospel. We pray for them, Lord. Lord we pray for our brothers and sisters, in the, and we pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us as a church to, to, to pray for them and to remember them, and that, Lord, that you work through the prayers of your people. And Lord, I pray as we pray, as we ask, Lord, that you would spread your gospel amongst the nation of Algeria, Lord, that you would do it, Lord, for your name's sake. Lord, we pray for other things going on in our, in our midst, Lord. We pray for those who are dealing with sickness. We pray for those who are traveling. We pray for those who um, are struggling in relationships or struggling at work, Lord. We pray for them. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, Lord, through your word. For those, Lord, that are shy or fearful of preaching or proclaiming your gospel amongst co-workers or neighbors and friends, Lord, I pray that you would give them boldness to share your gospel. For students to share the gospel on campus, for those who are working in, in schools or businesses, Lord, that you would give them opportunities to share your gospel. That you would send them into your harvest, Lord. That they would meet people of peace and those people would respond to the gospel. Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your work through the Reformation, Lord. That we are reading your word openly and freely because of those who sacrificed their lives. We praise you, Lord, for your goodness and how you work through the devotion of others to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This is going to feel a little bit like a history class, and I apologize for that. But um, we kind of have to understand through history how we got this, how we got the English Bible. For some of us, we may not know this history. We think, well, it always existed, right? We, we always could just go to a bookstore and buy a Bible freely. Or we could always just, we're able to just take it off our shelves and dust off the dust because we haven't read it in a while. That that is just something that it's always been so. We kind of forget the sacrifice of others to get, to get us what we have in front of us, what we get to read every day. We have the opportunity to read every day. This may sound silly. Uh, I was thinking, like, if there was, like, rock music during the Reformation, like, there was rock and roll, like, what would be their anthem? Like, what, what, what song of, of, of the rock, of rock and roll would fit the, the Reformation and those who, who were just so devoted to the cause? And the only song I could come up with was, do you know a band in the 80s called the Twisted Sisters? And they had the song, they had the song, I want to rock! They had that song. I think they only had, like, two or three songs, really. Um, but the other song was uh, We're Not Gonna Take It, right? And I remember the, memory, the, the music video. All the band was dressed up, I think, in like the drag. Uh, and they were in a school, and I'm not really sure why, but that was kind of the music video. Music videos never make any sense, really. Um, and the song was, you know, We're Not Gonna Take It. No, we're not gonna take it. We're not gonna take it anymore. And it's like kind of this, this youth anthem. Like, we're not taking... The, uh, the authority, we're, we're throwing off authority, we're, gonna, we're not going to take it anymore. It's our right to choose, it says. And I thought about that, it's like, for some, for those, those few that fought in and, and struggled and laid their life down for the sake of the Reformation, they fought for their right to do what? To read and know God's Word. And that's really what they were 
fighting for, that, that God's word would be freely available to people, to be able to read and to know and to believe and to obey. So the first point is, and it's got to kind of talk about the history of the English Bible, and then at the end I'm going to talk a little bit through 2 Timothy. What does that all mean? The first point is the morning star of the Reformation, the morning star of the Reformation, and that is referring to John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was considered the morning star because he really kind of sparked the Reformation way, way, way before Martin Luther even came around. Actually, when, Wyc and I'll, I'll get to, when Wycliffe died in, in 1384, Martin Luther was born 100 years later in 1484. But really, the, 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 the Bible in the English language starts way even before Wycliffe comes on the scene. Um, during the 6th century, when Britain was, 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 was run by basically the Anglo-Saxon people, they spoke a language called the Saxon. It was a Saxon language. It was kind of, a, kind of an ancient or pre-English language. And the Bible was then was taken to Britain by St. Augustine, not the St. Augustine of Hippo, but another St. Augustine comes along. He goes to Britain. He brings the Latin Bible to Britain. But the common people didn't speak Latin, right? The Latin was the language of the elite. It's the language of the academic world. And the common people did not speak Latin. So therefore, it was great the Bible was in Britain and Latin, but the people really couldn't understand it. The Mass was done in Latin. Then there was another person who came along about a, year, about a century later called Cayman. Which is what, I think that's where the name of the band Cayman Call comes from. But Cayman comes to Britain. He was from Whitby, from England, and he composed songs in the Saxon language that told the Bible story. He actually used music, because the people didn't know Latin, he used music to inform and educate people about God's Word. During that same time, there was a man named Idlehelm in 706. He composed psalms completely of Scripture and translated the psalms in, Sa in, in the Saxon language. The entire Psalter, the entire psalms, he translated in the language of the people so they could sing God's word. That's why we, we worship with God's word. We worship using scripture. That's how people actually were ever told the Bible because they didn't know the language. The common people, the religious establishment argued, were better off without direct access, access to the word of God. It would take the, a council in 2029 to forbid any scripture in the vulgar tongue. The vulgar tongue would be English. English uh, was considered a vulgar tongue, a, a language of the common people. That sentiment reigned long before the official decree. Like That understanding that the people, the common people, shouldn't be allowed to read God's word, have access to God's word, because God's word shouldn't be in a vulgar language, number one. But second, there was a fear that it would cause error, that there would be heresy that would, that would come about because the people knew the word of God, the common people. Then in the, in the 14th century, a man named John Wycliffe come along. He was a professor at Oxford, one of the, the brightest minds of his age. And he believed, uh, reading God's word, he believed that Christ gives dominion to all those who trust in Christ, and that we all have freedom through his grace. Therefore, every man holds an equal place in the eyes of God. That was different. No one had ever said that, that even the common man and the priest or the pope had equal place in the eyes of God. 
that we are literally justified by faith alone. Wycliffe discovers this way before Martin Luther does, that we are justified, we are declared righteous by God by faith, not by works. He said, Wycliffe said, Christ's law is best and enough, and our other laws men should not take, but as branches of God's law, that Christ's word, that Christ's teachings is far superior and best than the laws of the church, or a nation. The right of every man to examine the Bible for himself. Wycliffe said the New Testament is full of authority and open to the understanding of a simple man as to the points that be most needful to salvation. He that keepeth meekness and charity hath the true understanding and perfection of all holy scripture. So in 1382, Wycliffe has these ideas, he has these views, so what does he do about it? His mission was to then translate the Bible in the language of craftsmen and peasants. So he led a handful of scholars in Oxford to translate the Latin Bible into English. So St. Jerome's vulgar, vulgate Latin Bible had never been translated into English until 1382. And Wycliffe translated it with other scholars in Oxford, translated the Latin Bible into the English language so that the people could actually read God's word. What ended up happening was is that he ended up training and inspiring a group of group of poor priests called the Lallers. Lallers was like kind of a, a derogatory term to mean the mumblers. These poor priests, with them because they had they had um, a Wycliffe's work, they went into the countryside and the villages and the towns around Britain and preached the gospel, and actually actually uh, actually showed the people God's word in the actual language of the people. It sparked a greater revolution to come. When Wycliffe died in 1384, 100 years before Martin Luther was born, that's why he's considered the morning star of the Reformation. Many were killed for reading the Bible, burnt, burnt, being burned as heretics, and they even had a Bible in a language of a vulgarness, not in the Latin word. They were killed. The teachings of the doctors can alone make us understand scriptures. There's an understanding that the experts, the elite, the doctors, the, the scholars are the only ones that will help us understand the Bible. It shouldn't be given to the common man. Then in, uh, in, in the power of the church, there was a fear of error and heresy, and that the church needed to control the access to God's word. The second point is where we get to our main character, about Tyndale. That a plowboy would know more of scriptures than the Pope. That's what he said. So before Tyndale comes on the scene, in 1450, Gutenberg invents and builds his printing press. Actually, I think the Time magazine did a, did a, did a story on this not too long ago. They, they're trying to determine what was the single most important event in human history. And this was they would consider the most important event in human history is when Gutenberg invented the printing press. Because then literature and education was able to be expanded because you could, more people could have access to books and, and education. In 1455, Gutenberg printed the Bible, the Latin Bible. He printed 180 copies. This was not something that was done before. It was all done by human hand, right? Every Bible before Gutenberg was all copied by hand. It took a long time 
And there was, there was also, it led to errors, because if you were sitting there at a desk for hours upon hours, writing a Bible, most of us would probably make mistakes, fall asleep, just make liturgical errors. Then in 1516, another a really important event that led to Tyndale's work was Erasmus's Greek New Testament. Why this was so significant was Erasmus, instead of just taking the Latin Bible, taking the Latin language, and then giving and then being translated into other languages, he went back to the original manuscripts, the Greek New Testaments. The language that the New Testament was written in, not the Latin, but the Greek, the language that Paul wrote in. The other New Testament wrote it. He then he presented a new addition to the Greek New Testament in 1560, which led Luther, who was in college, who was in who was in being educated at that time, he read Erasmus's New Testament, and it led him to read Romans and read that read that faith that salvation was in faith alone, not by works. That we are to repent of our sins to God and put our faith in Christ. The publication of the Testament of Christ in the original language restored the pure text of the Word of God. The first step in the translation of the Bible into the vernacular. Vernacular means the, the language of the people. He wrote, this is Erasmus, he wrote, But we must publish the mysteries of Christ, the Holy Scriptures translated into all languages, to be read not only by the Scots and Irish, but even by the Turks. This led Luther to read Romans 1.17. In the original Greek. For it is the righteousness of God that is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Luther read that and a light bulb went on. We're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. John Tisdale, who was, uh, uh, who was employed by the Catholic Church, said, As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Martin Luther said, that's not true. It's by faith that we are saved from hell. We are given eternal life. So on October 31st, 1517, in Wittenberg, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses. The German New Testament was then written in 1522 that Luther then translated the Bible from the Greek language using Erasmus' New Testament and then translated the Bible into German. So the people could understand. It was the language of the people. That people would have immediate access of their soul to God without any intermediary. That the sufficiency of Scripture is the root of all goodness and opens our heart and gives us grace to believe. Therefore, the Bible must be in the language of the people so they can understand. So this led William Tyndale, because of Martin Luther's work, led him and inspired him to then translate the Bible from the Greek New Testament into English. This was the view of some of the, of the clergy in English at the time. They said, we would be better off without God's law than the Pope's. Meaning that God's word, yeah, important, but we have Pope's law, which is far more important. And that led and inspired Tyndale to say, if God spares my life before many years pass, I will make it my impossible, make it possible for a boy behind the plow of a hoe to know more of Scripture than you do, the Pope does. That was his inspiration. That the people, a boy, a child, a man or a woman, an old man or a young man, a slave or a free man, would be able to read God's word and believe it and have faith and salvation in Christ. Well, Tyndale has this 
vision. He has this mission to then translate the Bible into English. But there was a lot of power against him. There was a wealthy cloth merchant named Humphrey Monmouth who then gave Tyndale money and a place to work and live. Others came and helped, helped him, but there was others who were against what, what Tyndale was trying to do. There was a man, the Bishop of London was a man named Tunstall. And Tunstall was, heard about what was happening and tried very desperately to stop the work of Tyndale. Tyndale even said, it's not the Bishop's house alone is closed against me, but all of England is closed against me for wanting to present God's word in the language of my people. So he went off to Germany. He went off to Cologne, Germany, and then what happened was he, was, he worked and he worked tirelessly. He worked so much he didn't eat. He worked so much that he, his clothes, he never changed his clothes. Like He worked so desperately hard that the Bible would be in the language of the people of England. It would be in English. And he finished. And as he sent it to the printing press, it was being printed. And, the, and, the, and, the, and there was a man, Nicoclus, who stopped the work from being printed. And he went off to take the documents, all the work that Tyndale was going to work, he was going to burn it. But Tyndale was able to get into the printing press and get all of his work and get out before they were burned. He then went off to Worms, Germany, and was able to finish the New Testament in English. He even says, under the words of eternal life, by which if we repent and believe them, we are born anew, created afresh, enjoying the fruits of the blood of Christ. On March 15, 26, the Bible was sent to England, wrapped in cloth, hidden from, from, the, uh, from, the, from the King Henry VIII, who did not want the Bible in the language of his people. But because of, of, the, of, the, of the Cardinal of England and Henry VIII, who was King of England and others, they were distracted by other things. Uh, Henry VIII was trying to fight a war in France. Uh, Thomas Worsley, who was the cardinal, was dealing with some issues in Scotland. That when it came across the English Channel, there was no authorities. No one tried to, to open up boxes to find the Bible. The 3,000 copies got into England. Unannounced, unknown to those in power. There was a man named Thomas Garrett, who was part of the Church of All Hallows. He sold the Bible to laymen. People were able to read and study the Bible in their own language. Think about it, the invisible hand of God. That all of the that that, that Tyndale was able to, to get the work done, that there was there was threats and there was powers against him. There was powers that, that did not want the Bible in English. There was people that would have loved to have burned his work, but yet God was in control. God was sovereign over what was happening, and the Bible got to the hands of the people. In 1536, a friend, of, a friend of Tyndale, Henry Phillips, portrayed Tyndale. And as he was arrested and spent a year in prison before he was killed and burned at the stake, he said, Lord, open the eyes of England. Open the eyes of the King of England, Henry VIII. Henry VIII was very much against the work of Tyndale and the Reformation. But then Henry VIII went a divorce from his wife, Catherine Aragon. And then he wanted to get separation from the Catholic Church so he could get that divorce. And then he had a son named Henry VI. And Henry VI had royal advisors who were sympathetic to the Reformation. Therefore, all people had access to God's Word. 
1560, we got the Geneva Bible because of Bloody Mary, who was a Catholic, and the persecution that was happening in England. The Puritans, those we know as the Puritans, left England, went to Switzerland to work with Calvin, John Calvin, and therefore we have the Geneva Bible. In 1611, we get King James Bible, which is 90% of Tyndale's work. Most of Tyndale's work is in the King James Bible. In 1881, we get the English Revised Version. In 1901, we get the American Standard Version. In 1971, we get the Revised Standard Version. And in 2001, we get the English Standard Version. All coming from Tyndale's work. The Bible that we use here at church every week is because of God's work through Tyndale. And we have to ask the question, you know, Jesus had issues with the Pharisees, right? When he would say something and he would say, have you not read in God's word? Have you not read this? Almost like shocked that they didn't already know the things that he was talking about. And the issue is, is that many of us have not read God's word. Uh, Looking through some statistics that have been done this year, 16% of Christians read the Bible daily. 14% several times a week. 9% once a week. 7% once a month. 6% 6% several times a year. 49% never. 53% of Christians read the Bible less than once a month. 53%. All the people who sacrificed their lives, who shed their blood, who were born, who were born on the other state, so the Bible could be in the hands of the common people, yet now we have so much access to God's Word. We can read it at any time, in any way. There's no fear of death, and yet very few of us actually read God. Jesus, I mean, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy to remain in the Word. There was false teachers around him. They were, um, they were stating things that were not true. They were stating things that were in error. They were getting more popularity than Timothy. And then Paul encourages Timothy to be faithful in the Word, to, be, to trust in the Word, because it is the power to be able to make people wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. False teaching cannot deliver the promises of salvation. People need the gospel presented there Presented in God's word for salvation from the bondage of sin. It is by faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, by Christ alone. Without God's word, we don't see the promises of his grace in Christ through faith. You can't understand that and believe that by looking at the moon or the sun. You have to have God's word. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy that all scripture, every text, every passage, the red letters, the black letters... All the Bible is inspired by God. It's his inspired word. It's the authority of God. That by God's authority, that his word, the Bible, is all of it. Every every dot, every iota, every every sentence, every paragraph, every chapter, every book, every part of God's word is inspired by him. Mm -hmm. It is truthful. It has authority. It's useful, Paul says. Useful or profitable for teaching, for convicting of sin, for recovery, basically, to correct us, but also to, to, to recover us from, our, from, from being down in our, in our sin and being, uh, and being reminded so much of our sin and our errors. The Bible recovers us. It encourages us. It trains us in righteousness. It educates us in righteousness. The man of God applies to all people. This is not just applying to the priests the clergy, or the pastor, or the elder, that all men and women, young and old, slave and free, rich and poor, may be complete, 
for the, for, the, for, the, for the task of the Christian life, to grow in godliness, to bear fruit in righteousness, to be equipped for every good works. This includes all of us. If you put your faith in Christ, this, the word of God, makes us complete. Mm. It equips us for every good work. Scripture is sufficient, meaning that it's all that we need. We don't need anything else. We don't need God's word and also a pastor or a preacher to tell you what to do. You don't need God's word in a, in a library of books. You don't need God's word in all the Christian music you could possibly find. You just need God's word for salvation and godly living. Scripture alone is our final authority and therefore sufficient for faith and practice because it is God's inspired word. It's God's word. Therefore, it's truthful. Therefore, it has authority. Therefore, it tells you all that you need to know about God and his salvation. The knowledge of his saving grace is necessary and sufficient for faith and practice and godliness. All things necessary for salvation and for living the Christian life in obedience to God and for his glory are given to us in Scripture. Every text, every passage, every word. All things necessary for God's glory, salvation, and the Christian life are provided for God's people in God's word. It's the saving message of the gospel. It reveals to us God's will for our life. If you're ever wondering what God's will is for your life, it's in God's word. Nothing should be added to the Bible, and the Holy Spirit will illuminate its truth in your life. I don't know where you are in your Christian life. I don't know where you are in your kind of exploration or journey with God. But are you looking for salvation and redemption from somewhere other than God's Word? Are you looking at it in pleasure, through success, religious practices, self-help tools? You won't find redemption and salvation there. You'll only find it in God's Word. That's why they were so dedicated in the Reformation to get the Bible translated into the language of the people. Because if it didn't have the language of God's word, they were not going to understand his salvation. The second thing is, are you looking for spiritual growth and godly living from somewhere other than God's word? From programs or events, from podcasts. I mean, I love podcasts too, but if you're getting your spiritual growth from podcasts or sermon and not from reading God's word, you're not going to grow in godly living. Experts, pastors, clergy, priests, they will not help you grow in spiritual, spiritual living or godly living. But God's word helps us. You will not find spiritual growth there. It can only be found in God's word. So what does this all mean as a church? One of the things that we uh, were working on like several months ago was to come up with a way to encourage God's people to read God's word more. How can we help people here at Redeemer to read God's word more? If there could be one thing that I would say is the most important thing that you can do in, in, during your week when it comes to your spiritual growth, it's reading God's word. Not listening to podcasts, not listening to John MacArthur or John Piper on, on podcasts or on listening to their sermon, but God's word. So one of the things that we, one of our goals this year is to come to a point where as a church, we are reading God's word 60 minutes a week. This is not some type of like, you know, if you do that, you get brownie points, or you get candy, or you get a gift, or anything like that. But it's a way that if we as a church are reading God's Word collectively, and we are doing it and encouraging each other to read God's Word more, that that's going to lead to a lot of things. It's going to lead to repentance. 
It's going to lead to faith. It's going to lead to growing in wisdom. It's going to lead to loving each other more and loving our neighbors more. It's going to lead to us sharing the gospel more by simply reading God's word more. So what, what, are we, what we, we've been doing this for a few months. Some of us, we had kind of a, um, a kind of a beta group to work on this. We had a few people that were part of this, and we would, they, you would send a message every week that would just encourage you to read God's word, and they would provide a suggestion that you could read. And after that week, that you would just text back that number how much. You've read that way. I mean, minutes, you've read that way. So if you read 30 minutes, you type in 30 minutes. You would send that message. So here's what I want you to do. If this is something that you need encouragement on, you need to be encouraged to read God's word. You need more accountability. Reading God's word more. I want you to pay attention. I'm about to say something. I want you to text. Text this number. 812-362-5154. I'll read it again. 1-812. I forgot the one. one 812 362-5154. And in that message, just simply say, text, sign me up. Sign me up. And you will start getting a message every week that says, hey, I just want to encourage you to read God's Word this week. Here's a suggestion that you can read. I want to encourage you at the end of the week to put in how much you read. If you have any prayer requests, put in a prayer request. Again, it's anonymous. No one's going to say, hey, by the way, you only read 30. Last week you read an hour. What's going on? You're not going to get that at all. It's purely for accountability. It's purely for encouragement. And to spur you to read God's word more. And every week you will get a message that says, hey, this week as a church we've read this amount. Because amount we want to we want to create a church. We want to be a church that's encouraging in reading of God's word. And that is a goal that we would read 60 minutes a week as a church. So if you did that, that's great. I want to encourage you with that. If you didn't, um, that's fine. But I want to encourage you to maybe do it down the road. Because we all need to be reading God's word. Because it is sufficient for us for salvation and godly living. And many, many people, like Tyndale, like Whitcliffe, and others, fought and lived in very difficult situations that we can have God's word. So we can read it and understand it. So we can believe it and obey it. Let me pray Dear Lord, I thank you for this, this, this day. I thank you, Lord, for what your work through certain individuals over the years, over the, throughout history, Lord, that we could read your word, so we could preach from it, so we could sing from it, Lord. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, for your sovereignty. Lord, how you were Lord over getting your, your work, getting your word into the hands of people who are that needed it, they needed to read it for salvation and for faith and for godly living. Lord, for those who tried desperately to stop it, Lord, we thank you for overcoming it. For those today who are preventing God's word, your word from getting into their nation, Lord, may you have mercy on your soul. May they see the error of their ways. May they see that they are fighting in a battle they cannot win. That you are sovereign and you are Lord and you will win the day. You will, uh, your, your purpose and your, uh, your goals, Lord, will be fulfilled. Lord, I pray, Lord, that those who need your word, that you will give it to them. 
Lord, you would, you would help us as churches to work desperately, Lord, and tirelessly that we would provide money and other resources to get your word into the hands of people who need it. For anyone here who never, never put their faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, they have never actually read the Bible at all. Lord, may you spur them to read it, Lord. May you spur them to, to understand it, Lord. May you illuminate to their hearts and minds what it, what, it, what it means. And may they trust and believe it, Lord. May you lead them to <coughs> For those who are Christians here who do not read the Bible faithfully, they're one, of the, the, they're one of the members of that statistic, Lord. They just do not read the Word of God at all. They believe it, but they don't really read it. They don't study it, Lord. They don't try to get to understand your Word and and, and base their life off of your word. Lord, I pray that you would convict them of that sin. That they would repent of that. And you would move them to faithfulness. That you would discipline them. That you would help them to read your word regularly and faithfully. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. It's at David. And I want you to go up and do the word.